But I feel the need to be a little bit transparent with you that as my heart sings those words, I am speaking them, but struggling with the inner tension of my heart to say, you know what? (laughs) My heart's actually singing a few other tunes as well. My heart's kind of singing security and comfort. 
and the things that I want, even if they're good and holy things. <laughs> That's a battle in my mind that, that I'm, I'm sitting here singing, yeah, Lord, through insecurity and through, hmm, can I admit this? What other people think of me? Have I elevated what you all think of me above what my God thinks of me? I'm just telling you my things. I don't know what yours are, and maybe you are declaring, my heart will sing, know the name Jesus, Jesus, with 100% abandon, and I look to you. And that's what my heart longs to catch up to that as well. But that's conflict in my heart because I'm but a sinful person but I've accepted his love and I've decided I want to follow him. And I'm going to read this encouragement to us because this, I think if we're all honest, we all find ourselves in this place um, of knowing that we belong to God, right? Do you know he loves you, church? Amen. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So no matter where you find yourself, let's continue declaring the praises to our Jesus. He is good. He is worthy. He's wonderful. He's powerful. And he loves us. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High. Your hidden glory in creation is now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name. Great, you love. 
us you may not know we as we've just sung together um, we pray these prayers together this is from the book of common prayer in the church universal around the world they're praying these same prayers with us and we just believe there's a lot of power in the liturgy of that and so the words will be on this screen let's pray together church almighty and everlasting god nope i have the wrong one sorry there it is Let's, can we start that over? I'm sorry, Lord. Almighty and merciful God, it is only by your gift that your faithful people offer your true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. You ever have a... A car where one of the spark plugs aren't, isn't functioning like it should. It's misfiring. Anybody ever have a car like that? I know you've never purchased a Honda that had that, right? Uh, but you ever had a car that had a, 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 mis, a misfiring spark plug? You know, a car can operate without all of its spark plugs functioning, right? It, it, it can drive, you know, you, maybe you can't drive as fast and, and maybe it'll, it'll, it'll backfire, but, but a car can function even when there is a bad spark plug in one of the valves. In fact, you could even drive a car without a spark plug in the valve. Now, I would not recommend you doing that because that could result in a fire, right, Neil? Engineer right back there, right? But, but you could actually, a car would function without the spark plug there. And so, so it's possible to, to have a vehicle that doesn't have all of its parts, that can function to a degree, but it would sure function a lot better if all those parts were there. It's the same in the human body. In the human body, we, we have parts that, that cannot function or we can function uh, to a degree without them. 
Um, or we can have something that can help us function. So, so our kidneys begin to deteriorate and we can have dialysis. And, and we can function, we won't function as well without that kidney functioning. So, so there's things in our body that, that we could be missing and still function without. I, I had an uncle, and I've shared this story, that lost two fingers in a press. And he'd come up behind his wife and say, guess who? We can function, missing fingers and toes, but we do a lot better when we have all of our fingers and toes. This body functions better. You know, we are the body. This body functions better when all our parts are present. Can I get an amen to that? When we're all together, we function better. And we've been dealing with this ideal of revival. We, we started with Josiah way back in September, and now we're getting close to November, and we're, we're, we're working through Luke 15. We're, we, we see, we've seen revival through the perspective of Josiah. Now we're looking at revival or renewal through the perspective of Jesus and how God sees renewal and revival. And we've been looking through these parables in Luke 15, these very familiar parables. Uh, these religious folks were intrigued by Jesus, they were intrigued by his teachings and his miracles. The problem was Jesus was hanging out with problem people. He was hanging out with sinners. He was hanging out with tax collectors. He was hanging out with prostitutes. He was hanging out with people they didn't think he should hang out with. And, and in fact, they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You know, imagine if that was the only complaint that people had about the church, that we received sinners and we loved them. And Jesus gives these three parables. And these parables are not for the lost. These parables are for people who feel they have everything together and see all these lost people as a problem. And these parables give us God's perspective. And so last week we unpacked the parable of the lost sheep and the, and the shepherd that looks for the one of the hundred that's missing. And, 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 and we learn from that if it's reasonable to look for and care about a lost Sheep, how much more reasonable is it for to, us to look for lost people? And not only that, but when we, we see people uh, and we understand their backstory, it allows us to see them with compassion and see them a little bit differently. And we can go with this ideal that there but for the grace of God go I. And, and so these parables are, are giving us God's perspective. And, and this week... We're going to look at the second parable, and, and this is talking about one coin out of ten. And not, not only do people lose out when they fail to allow Jesus to have control, we, we can acknowledge that when people uh, do not allow Jesus to have control of their life, when, when they live outside the kingdom, they're missing something in their life. But this body suffers when those who are outside the body those who are outside the kingdom refuse to allow Jesus to take control. Not only do they suffer, but we suffer. Jesus says, woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, 
I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So once again, we see a loss in value. We've went from one sheep out of a hundred to one coin out of ten. And the implications of this parable uh, with this woman is, is, is that this is a significant loss. It's, it's one out of ten that, that, that she has limited resources and she's lost a part of these limited resources. One out of ten, ten percent. It's only reasonable she had turned the house upside down to find this coin. It mattered. It was significant. And very simply, Jesus is saying, those people you call sinners and losers and fools are valuable. They are worth searching for. They are important. They have an important part to play. And it's only reasonable to look for them. Once again, that this isn't passive. In the last parable, it's kind of passive. The father just waits for the son to return. But in these two parables, Jesus is saying it's reasonable to, to get on your hands and knees and begin looking for this coin. It's reasonable to, to take some physical effort to do what it takes to find this one who is missing, to go searching, to not wait around. But, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. Ten is an important number. It's, it's an important number in the Bible. You, you have these numbers in the Bible that are what you call perfect numbers. So three is a perfect number. Seven is a perfect number. Twelve is a perfect number. Twelve times twelve, 144, is a perfect number. Ten is one of those perfect numbers. Jesus is very intentionally using a number that reflects perfection and wholeness. And Jesus is saying, you're looking at these people and you're calling them sinners. You look at them and you're talking about what they're missing in the kingdom. But it's more than about what they're missing it's what you're missing. That there's a whole level of wholeness that these people that you call fools and lost and sinners, there's a whole level of wholeness that they can bring to the kingdom if you'll just get on your hands and knees and start searching for them. Not only are the lost missing out, we're missing out. We all suffer. When people fail to embrace the kingdom life. That, that there's this value, there's wholeness that we do not experience because people are lost. You see examples in the Bible. Um, Peter. You know, here, here's the apostle Peter. He's a fisherman. And, and Jesus looks at him, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, the religious folks, looks at him as this loser fisherman that can't have anything, that can't add anything to the kingdom. And Jesus sees a whole level of wholeness that Peter can add to the kingdom if he just comes along. Matthew. All these guys, we're going to add a level of wholeness to the kingdom. These women that Jesus ministers to. You see it through the history of the Christian church. One of our church fathers is Augustine, and, and Augustine was a sinner. He was lost, and God 
finds him and, and he adds this extreme value. The church would not be the same. The church that we experience here today would not be the same. But for Augustine, in our modern history, you see names that, that come out. And uh, Nixon had a, a right-hand man named Chuck Colson. And Chuck Colson was corrupt and hard-dealing and, and, and he goes to prison and he gets saved and Chuck Colson has made a difference for the kingdom. He's brought a level of wholeness. And there's examples in this church. Think, think about your life. Think, think about where you came from. Think about the disorder and the sin and the chaos that predated your time experiencing Jesus. And then so many of you do so much to add value and significance and wholeness to this body. Where would we be without you? And in the same way, Jesus is saying those people that we call lost, we need to understand that they add a whole level of wholeness that we cannot experience without them. In the 90s, there was a Tom Cruise movie called Jerry Maguire. Anybody remember the movie Jerry Maguire? What was the phrase from Jerry Maguire? Oh, that's the other phrase. Maybe. What? You had me at home. How about you complete me? <laughs> you guys all think about money. That's all you care about. Show me the money. You complete me, right? Yeah, that, that, that was, was that in that movie? Am I wrong? I think he said that you complete me. Jesus trying to get religious people to see those people that they call lost, those people that they call sinners and fools, that those people that you think, well, we just need to give this to them. And it's not that they don't have need of the gospel, but Jesus is trying to get them to see them in a whole different light and understand that those folks bring completeness and wholeness to the kingdom. It's the same for us, folks. Those outside the kingdom, and, and, and they live in your neighborhoods, they, they work with you, they go to school with you. Uh, you, you, you go to soccer games with them, with your kids. You, 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 you hang out with them at times. You see them around. You see them in the grocery store. And Jesus wants us to see those people as extremely valuable as they bring wholeness, as completeness. And we're missing them. They, they represent ministries and opportunities and relationships and perspectives. You know, one thing, and I'm always careful when I do this, this isn't in my note, but as I've thought about that perspective, I, I, the, the ideal perspectives, I think what happens sometimes in a body is we begin to have groupthink to the extent that we cannot see the value of other perspectives. And we all become just same thinking. Sometimes it helps the body 
just to have somebody that sees things from a different perspective and has had a different experience and it adds a whole new level of wholeness and purpose to a body. Because can we all understand that our perspective is not perfect and God is bigger than any of us can even begin to imagine, right? They represent flavor added. It's soon to be, or it's getting to be, and all you stinking people that have been praying for the cold weather, a pox on you. I don't know what a pox is, but that, I don't understand praying for snow and cold weather, but I know a lot of you do that. And um, so it's stew and chili season and soup season, and imagine you're whipping up your favorite stew. You cut up a nice piece of beef. You brown that beef and throw it in the kettle and you cut up some veggies and you throw in some onions. And you cook that for a while and then you bring it out and you sit down and eat and you realize, ah, carrots and potatoes. <laughs> I forgot the potatoes and the carrots. You know, the stew would be good, right? It'd be good, but man, those potatoes... Who, give me an amen to a good potato and a stew, right? Yeah, I knew I'd get an amen out of that. Just to add something. God wants to add flavor to our gatherings. He wants to add different ingredients to this gathering. And it'll add flavor and wholeness. See, it's not only those who've not found Christ are missing out. We're missing out. Now, we're going to close with communion. We're going to respond with communion. And, and I'm going to ask Todd to come in just a second. You know, communion is, is so fascinating to me because we, we have two sacraments. Um, we have, in our church tradition, we have baptism and communion, or what we call sacred means of grace. And, and we celebrate baptism. And, and baptism, Jesus participates in, but you really can't say Jesus necessarily initiates. He participates in baptism. But communion, Jesus initiates communion. And communion, communion is a community sacrament. It's a group gathering sacrament. You know, I, I know I would do communion every week. I would. And there's some churches that just put it out for people as they want it. And, and I've resisted that because I believe communion is something people do together. That there's, there's a value when we together say we are going to celebrate this holy, sacred Thanksgiving dinner. We're going to celebrate Christ in the center. And, and so it's a together sacrament. It's an understanding in the sacrament that we are better together, we need each other, that, that there's something significant that happens that connects us. You know, communion's connected um, to the Jewish Passover. And in the Jewish Passover, they'll have one cup that's untouched for Elijah. It represents Elijah to come. And I thought about that with our communion. Every time I, I make far too much of the grape juice. I don't make the grape juice, but I do far too many of the cups. And in my mind when I'm doing it, I always think of this. I always think it's, it's a, it represents 
an overabundance of grace. That, that as I do it, I think I'm going to overdo it because that's how God has done it. God has overdone his grace and his blood is sufficient for us all. But this morning as I prepared, I thought about something different. But what if each of those cups that, that aren't drank this morning represent a soul or a person or a family that should be in our midst? And God wants us to recognize that it's not just about you and me and us, but it's also about those that can add so much value to this kingdom, to this family, to this church. Grove City Church of the Nazarene had a saying, and um, their, their pastor would say, an empty chair is a big thing. <laughs> Look around you. These empty chairs represent people who God wants to add to the kingdom, who God intends to add value to our body and to our community. May we see people differently. Todd, you want to come up and get us ready for communion? Uh, thanks, Paul. I just wanted to share a little bit here this morning. Can you guys see this where it says, this do in remembrance of me? Is, have you all seen it? And actually seen the letters in that. I want to tell you a story about that. Um, so those of you who know me, which in this service is not very many, um, but uh, you are a good-looking group of people. Not as good as the second service, but you're still pretty good-looking people. Um, I have a son. His name's Mitchell, and Mitchell is uh, disabled. He has uh, severe autism. And uh, he doesn't speak, he doesn't, uh, you know, communicate very much in different ways. And so he's kind of um, out of sync with the rest of us. Now, Mitch was a holy terror when he was about three, four, or five years old. Um, behaviors, just really bad stuff, just uncontrollable. He would, um, during church, when I was the pastor of the Methodist Church, uh, this is in particular in South Webster, Ohio, and I was the pastor, and um, we were having something going on in the church, and, and this um, day happened, we're having communion, and it's looking much like this, and Mitchell, who was in a Sunday school room with a couple of adults watching him, including Jenny, burst through the doors in the back of the sanctuary and started running towards the front. I'm standing over there and going, oh, no. Now, i got to back up a little bit and tell you about Mitch in that he loves letters. When he was a little kid, his first communication with, with us was to spell out Dumbo in little plastic letters so that he could communicate that he wanted us to watch the Dumbo tape. Well, it took us a while. But he loves letters, still does, writes, you know. Anyway, so he came running up there, and he threw himself down in the front of the altar table and started running his fingers through the letters. 
And he's saying that, and it's just, it was a beautiful thing to watch him do it. But I'm, you know, I'm me, I'm being the pastor, I'm being, you know, taught up tight. And I'm going, oh no, this is, this is bad. Everybody's going to be mad at me for ruining their communion service. And, and uh, so Jenny, Jenny came in calmly as she does, and she walks up and we all sit there and watch him as he finishes, and then she grabs his hand and takes him up and leads him out. And funny enough, none of you Christians said anything bad to me after the service. I was, um, but the cool thing, the really cool thing happened later. And that was that evening I had a phone call from an older woman in the, in the church. She was living by herself, widowed, her only son was in New England um, battling cancer. And she called me up and said, you know, Pastor, I'm so thankful that Mitchell came up and did, and did that today. Because I looked up at him and watched him put it, run his hand so lovingly through our Lord's words. I saw God. I found and felt God's presence in a way that I haven't in 30 or 40 years. And so I just want to thank you for that blessing that your family gave to me today. And I'm so glad you're here and want to thank you for that. I was blown away, of course. But I think that that story has a, a lesson for us today about communion and about the impact this do in remembrance of me that we're we're together this is something we do as a celebration of togetherness a celebration of of being at the at the foot of the cross this is a celebration of inclusion in the truest sense of inclusion we're all equal at the foot of the cross can I get an amen for that little child with a disability old lonely woman, everything in between. We're Christ, and if we're Christ's body. And if you think about this communion, this was instituted by Jesus personally himself. This wasn't something made up along the way. And Jesus did this with the 12, who then did it with their uh, mentees, their people that they worked with. And, and throughout history, this has gone from one person to another person to another person in an unbroken line down to us. I mean, you know, you talk about your great-grandfathers and your, your great-grandmothers, and, and uh, we think about history and that this has actually come down. This blows me away. I hope, it, I hope it's meaningful to you in some way that, that this has been a person to person to person to person, multi-hundred generations of people coming to the foot of the cross together to partake in the Lord's body and his blood I'd like to finish sharing with you. Um, I'd like to read read to you um, 
This is from the, uh, the Methodist uh, communion service as part of what we call the Great Thanksgiving. And it's a, a prayer. We are, uh, as Nazarenes and Methodists, we, we kind of have the same thing, but all Christians, you know, we, we all go back to Jesus. Holy are you and blesses your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivering us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for letting me share with you this morning. Thank you for the reminder, Todd, why we do this. Do this in remembrance of me. As we receive these elements, we're, we're always reminded that there's no kids' tables in the kingdom, <laughs> uh, that we sit together. There's no lesser and greater, that at the head of the table seats Jesus, sits Jesus. And um, we celebrate oneness, not because of common goals or common ideas, but we are one in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate the body of Jesus Christ, which was broken for you. Eat and be grateful. The blood of Jesus, which was shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, there cannot be forgiveness of sins. And Jesus shed his own blood on our behalf. Drink and be grateful. Let us pray. Lord, you're here. We sense your presence. We, we love you, and we celebrate you. Lord, as, um, as I stand before your people, your church, I'm aware, Lord, that you're right beside each of us. You're speaking to our hearts. You're guiding us. Uh, to live in a way that's uh, more mature in your kingdom, to see things differently, to see people differently. Lord, as I see these empty seats, as I see these unused cups, I'm aware, Lord, that your grace is enough, your blood is sufficient. That, that you call all men to, and women to salvation. And Lord, we, your people, Lord, we are called to join you in this mission of salvation. Lord, too often we get caught up in the culture wars. And we celebrate a Savior who did not come to fight culture wars but he came to redeem culture. So Lord, may we be a people who don't fight battles, but
that offer redemption and salvation and peace and grace and mercy. May we be known for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks.